Five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Hooson. I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Hello, it's me again. How's it going, pal? It's good, thank you. How about you? It's going pretty damn swell. I just had to sit through 90 minutes of absolute bore fest uh, as England drew with uh, Scotland. Um, but other than that, I'm not doing too bad. Uh, and we are going to be looking at three films today. Uh, we're going to be looking at a film that we both saw a long time ago and two films that are very current, that only came out today. Uh, so we, we are talking about The Father, uh, which saw uh, Anthony Hopkins win Best Actor in a very emotional film about dealing with dementia. Uh, we are looking at Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, musical In the Heights, which got uh, adapted into a film um, and stars Anthony Ramos. Uh, just like a little kind of Spanish yeah. inflection in my voice. Very authentic. Um, and uh, yeah, and features uh, sort of a, a, a set of uh, dreamers in uh, Washington Heights, New York, uh, in the Latin American community, um, and dealing with um, a, ser- a number of other things, such as uh, a dreams of going home and uh, gentrification and such that. And we are going to be reviewing Luca, which is the newest uh, Pixar film. Um, and it's about uh, a young boy who is a sea monster, mermaid thing. Um, and when he and when they go in onto land, they turn into humans, and it kind of follows his travels of him meeting a friend on the surface, uh, who's also a sea monster, and them trying to infiltrate themselves in a human town in Italy, um, and and hilarity ensues. Um, so yeah, I've got some uh, some good films to talk about today. Uh, it's very relevant films to talk about, uh, and we uh, I'm going to first off by starting as we always do by talking about the films that we've seen this week. So uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, Lewis, uh, what have you watched? Uh, well, I wa- I finished Feel Good that we spoke about last week. I did Let's that last go. week. That was the ending. Didn't change anything about how I thought about it. It was still one of the best things I've seen. Great. Loved it. Uh, I went to see one of my favourite films that we've spoken about on the podcast, Fargo, that got re-released. Mm-hmm. I went to see that in the cinema that was great we've spoken about that at length before so i won't get into it again um sure and i also went to see another one of my favorite films ever chicago i went to see that in the cinema which is apt because it's a musical and this week we're dealing with a musical in the heights but uh, i love chicago it's great one of my favorite films one of my favorite musicals probably my favorite musical always come out singing the songs uh yeah i i have i'm i've absolutely clueless about Chicago. I don't know what it's about. I don't know who's in it. I don't know any of the songs. Wow. I'm completely in the dark wow. about Chicago. You should I, go and I, see it. I think it's still in the cinema. Right, okay. It's, it's not amazing. in Cineworld. They haven't, they haven't been it's showing it. It's in view. I could, if you need a little bit of a view. Oh, I live in London. There's a, there's, there's a cinema. I, yeah. I, I can find a view. Um, yeah, maybe I will before but it's, I go. It's amazing. It's about... I'll give you a brief description of what it's about, but obviously I won't tell you anything. It's about a woman... Yeah who shoots her uh, 
the male version of mistress she's having an affair she shoots the man she's having an affair with and she ends up going to prison for it and it's about her trying to get out of going to jail with it with the help of a lawyer played by Richard Gere or Gere. Uh, it stars Catherine Zeta-Jones and Renee Zellweger. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones is basically the best Wait, when thing. did this film come out? 2002. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was, like, really old. I well, it's like, an old stage musical. Oh, right, okay. It's, I think I it was it written was like... in, like, the 70s, and they meant to make... Oh, no, it was written way before the 70s. I think it was written in, like, the 30s, even. And they meant to make it into a oh, film right. in the 70s with Liza Minnelli, but it never came to fruition. Um, but Catherine Zeta-Jones basically owns this film. She just wins. Take everything. Give it to Catherine Zeta-Jones for this film. You should definitely go and see it. Um, right. And the last thing that I watched, because I haven't watched much this week, is I watched the new episode of Loki, which I know you haven't seen. So right. um, I'll we'll just give it a little it... bit of talk of that. We'll yeah. we'll do that between in the Heights and Luca. We'll do a little oh, mini, okay. tiny mini review of that. Yeah. Um, but that's everything but yeah. that I've seen this week. What have you seen this week, Sam? Uh, well, uh, it's been mainly rewatches actually this week. Um, I rewatched Kajillionaire for the first time since I saw it back in September or October. Um, and it's excellent. It's even better than I thought it was the first time. Uh, it's just really re-released on Now TV recently. Um, and it was very good. Um, I was slightly, um, inebriated. Is that the word? I was, um, <laughs> that is the I word. was, yes. Um, and it, I think it, the film suits it, I think. Um, but yeah, it was, it's just an excellent film and it's hilarious and it's very thinky. And I don't know, I, I think Evan Rich was excellent in that film. I think she's really, really good. I think Junior Rodriguez as well. Uh, it's just a great film. I rewatched Iron Man for the first time in a long time. Um, because my friends hasn't seen any Marvel films. So we, we made her watch oh, wow. Iron Man. She, she, she enjoyed it a lot. She thought it was really good. Um, which is, you know, cause I, know, I think it's, it's a very good film and, um, it's, uh, it's a little bit, um, you know, weird now with the way, the way the MCU is now because it's so kind of raw, um, which has its problems, but also is kind of refreshing now. Um, but yeah, it's it's very, very good film, obviously, and Robert Downey Jr. is very good. Um, and I rewatched Cruella as well. Um, now, I, I talked about um, being in packed cinemas, right? And I said about how I live in Wembley, so I'm never in the packed cinema. Yeah. But I said about how since, since COVID hit... Um, I'd only been to see Saint Maud, Judas Black Messiah, A Quiet Place Part Two, and now this Cruella. Um, and there's a big difference between that and the rest of the films. What do you, do you know? What I'm going to say no. Is that Cruella's funny, right? Ah, uh, um, yes. That's I, w- true. I wasn't in Wembley because I went to see Cruella in Wembley on the opening day, and there was six people in there. Um, but I went to go watch it in Westfield Shopping Centre and uh, with my mates and it was packed. Like, you know, like we actually had yeah. to pick our seat packed. Wow. Um, and um, it it was really refreshing. It was really nice being back because that was one of those kind of those cinema's back moments because everybody was laughing. Everyone was pissing themselves and it was like a real community experience, which is kind of the opposite of why Quiet Place Part 2 is so good in the cinema because of that silence that you share because you know yeah. that people are being quiet but Cruella like watching a comedy in the cinema that's packed it was really really nice actually like having that shared you know that shared sense of, of hilarity or whatever it was just yeah um, but Paul, Paul Waterhouse's accent doesn't improve on a rewatch um, <laughs> and and the, the other things I watched is uh, I ticked off a few Pixar films that I had never seen um, ahead of this week I, I have still got a few I've never seen Onward The Good Dinosaur or Brave I think the three I haven't seen. You're not missing much um, with those three, to be honest. 
really. Um, I've heard good things about Brave, but no, uh, not so much about the Good Dinosaur. Um, but I rewatched, well, not rewatched, sorry. I find, first time I, I watched Finding Dory, um, which I thought was very good. Actually, I was very impressed, and I don't, I think it's fairly mixed the opinion of Finding Dory, but I thought it yeah. was. Um, it ticked all the boxes of what I wanted coming back into that world from the first film and nice a few little cameos from original characters. Um, I thought it was, it was, uh, okay. The end of the story was a little bit convoluted with kind of, you know, fish driving a car. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was funny. Uh, and I thought it was, it was say, nice being in that world. And yeah, the voice acting is very good. Obviously, the recent things have come out that have suggested that Ella DeGeneres might not be the world's nicest person. Um, but it doesn't mean that, uh, <laughs> she's not good as Dory yeah. uh, I think it's a very good film um, I was a big fan um, and I was also very pleasantly surprised about Cars 3 uh, which I assumed was going to be shite because Cars 2 is shite uh, Cars, I've been on record a lot of times saying that Cars 2 is the only actually bad film that Pixar ever made whether that would change with Luke yeah, I agree that. with that um, a lot of the other films have been kind of okay mediocre like Monsters University for example which is fine uh, but Cars 2 is a genuinely poor film in my opinion uh, Cars 3 is a return to form it's not as good as the first Cars of course but it is good uh, it is funny um, and it is really interesting and it's a uh, very very cool concept and kind of takes it back to you know it's like Cars 2 is weird because it's bad because it's not what you want from a Cars film it's about like spies and stuff this is very much about racing and is very much like a, a kind of typical you know it's, it's basically Rocky 5 except for not bad um, it's Rocky <laughs> 5 mixed with Rocky Balboa with uh, the the main the, tra- the trainee mentor stuff with a little bit of Creed thrown in there um, but yeah it's very like coming to the end of your career facing up against the new guys it's like a very sports film and I think that that was a good decision it's, it's, it's cool and I think yeah Cars 3 also gets a tick for me a slightly smaller tick than, than Finding Dory but yeah a tick for me nonetheless I agree with what, that about Cars 3 as well yeah um, you finished Feel Good um, god that shit's good isn't it it is. It's really good. I loved it. I say most people seem to be enjoying it um, that I've been talking to because I've been recommending it to a few people. Most people have been enjoying it, but I think most people don't seem to be finding it as funny as I did. I think that's yeah. a, a kind of a blanket I said that. thing. That... It's, not, yeah, it's, it's like... not very funny to me. I just enjoyed it. But I don't find a lot of things funny. Like Even shows that are meant to be funny. Like I watch Friends. I don't find Friends funny at all, but I love Friends. Right, and I, I I don't find much actually funny, but I still yeah. enjoy comedies even if I don't find them funny. There's not that many TV shows that I consider laugh out loud funny, but I think Feel Good is one of them. Um, yeah, so it's interesting why I, that I connected with that so much more on a comedic level than most people seem to. Like, yeah, my, I talked to my mum and she's just finished series one, um, and she said, "Oh, like, oh my god, it's really good," and I was crying my eyes out, or whatever, so sad, or whatever. But I didn't really thought it was that funny. And I was like, well, you know, it's just, it's just for me. But, but you know, mm-hmm. of course, everyone thinks the. Uh, I talk every time I talk to everyone about it, and they're like, "Oh, it's not that funny." I was like, "Yeah, remember that scene in the third episode when like George says that thing about like the lawyer having the lawyer's kid having a, uh, ALS?" And they're like, "Oh, yeah, that was funny." <laughs> like, yeah. That is the only episode that I laughed at, though. That third episode is great. That is yeah, funny. Episode, that's the best episode of the series. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. Well, I think there's some of the episodes that are. I, the you know the the the, fin- the finale is very good as well actually and, and ve- that yeah. episode isn't funny really um, but that is very good uh, but yeah they're just um, giving further props to feel good because you know only one episode talking about isn't enough clearly um, but yeah feel good <laughs> is very good if anyone hasn't seen it and if you haven't watched the last episode oh, we talked about feel good with Brandon um, 
then do because it's good. Okay, I um, I just wanted to talk about so something we missed from last week. I wanted to talk about last week. I forgot um, on the news section. Um, but what the fuck, Lewis? Why is Fast and Furious Nine: The Fast Saga <laughs> opening at Cannes? <laughs> Film festival, the most pretentious, so beard scratching, like you know, it old really fuddy is. duddy. It really Why is. There, that? I can just imagine, what? like, setting the scene. We're in France, and there is a bunch of pretentious French cinephiles who sit down. The lights go out, and Fast and Furious plays, <laughs> and that is I just hilarious. It's so weird. Do you think those people are going to be? Uh, I'm assuming a lot of those people probably haven't seen all eight of them before. Do you think they're going to go back I and watch them, or do you I, think? I think they're going to love it. I think it's going to win the Palme d'Or. Imagine if it did. Imagine if it did. Imagine if um, our best picture contender became Fast and Furious Nine, the Fast Saga. I also find it weird that they've actively called a film the Fast Saga. Like, yeah, that is really weird. It, yeah. that's like calling Avengers Endgame, Avengers Endgame, the Infinity Saga. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. And it's pr- premiering at Cannes? Even though it's, it's already like out? Saga's ending. It's not like Saga's ending. It's like calling John Wick 2 John Wick Trilogy. John Wick <laughs> yeah. 2 the, the John Wick Trilogy. Yeah, it's like calling it's it Age like... of Ultron Avengers The Infinity Saga. Yeah. Like, it's so weird. It they're still it? making... I think they're making two more films. I think yeah. they're making 11 Fast and Furious films. And Vin Diesel also really came out and end. said that they're gonna, they might make a prequel series of his character... So they are expanding. I've not seen the single Fast and Furious, so I can't actually judge them. I saw the first one, and it was the cheesiest early two thousands like car chase stuff ever. Like women half naked hanging over car bonnets, and men staring at them. And it was it was genuinely just like ninety minutes of that. So when is Fast and Furious Nine opening? Do you know? It's already out. But it's premiering. What? It's already out now. It's in cinemas now. Really? Yeah. It's oh no, it's not out now. Lot. It's out in like next week. Right. I don't know why I we said it's out now. Eight soon. Oh Jesus Christ! We need to watch them all. <laughs> That's a promise. We promise the listeners that we are making a promise to the listeners. We will watch all of them before we review Fast and Furious Nine. Well, one half of the now showing podcast <laughs> is making that promise. <laughs> This podcast might come out in three weeks' time, but yeah. we are going to review them. Fast and Furious comes out next Thursday. We're not going to review them all. That's not true. That's a, I'm oh, not making God, a Jesus we Christ. Wa- <laughs> we're going to watch them all. <laughs> One of us will. This is our, this is our seventh <laughs> episode about Fast and Furious. <laughs> we're going to spend the next eight weeks focusing on Fast and Furious, fi- mm-hmm. climaxing with Fast and Furious 9, the Fast Saga, at right. Cannes. We're going to do an episode at the Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> not at Cannes, but during Cannes. We have 117 followers on Twitter. We're not invited to Cannes. <laughs> okay. Um, Lord of the Rings. They're making an animated movie. Oh, um, yeah, they are, aren't they? Is it anime? An as well? anime. Yeah, it's yeah. an anime film. Um, That's which basically is like, if you're going to, if you want to make a spin-off of something, make it an anime because you're going to get all the fans of the IP and anime fans to watch it. Yeah, so, um, and they're doing that with Marvel with as cast- well. Oh, are they? Yeah, there's oh, yes, a black. Of course, of is it black- Oh no, is it Marvel or is it Star Wars? I think. Well, there's oh, definitely uh, a Star, it's Wars Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, but they did it yeah. Castlevania as well, um, the game series. Um, and they're doing I thought you were talking about Blade Hotel Runner. Transylvania then. <laughs> Castlevania. I thought you said Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> An anime <laughs> spin-off of Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> that would be good. There's a there's another one of those coming out soon as well. Um, yeah, um, yeah, they're doing a Blade Runner as well. They're making a Blade Runner anime series soon, which I'm so hyped for. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're doing one with, with Lord of the Rings now. Speaking just, of, uh, of Lord of the Rings, I don't know if you saw what Amazon, which is making that ridiculously expensive Lord of the Rings series, have announced yes. that they've got a new inclusivity clause in their things, which is basically like what the Oscars did a while ago, where they, they have a certain criteria of diversity and inclusivity with who they hire and what stories get greenlit and who makes them and who stars in them. And um, right. there's someone tweeted about it and all of the replies were from people saying like, well, I'm not watching Lord of the Rings anymore. <laughs> and it's like, so you're, you're fine with elves and dwarves and hobbits and wizards, but you draw the line at like Asian people. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they don't have a problem with the Asian people. They're, they're tired of this woke nonsense to get, make them hire Asian people. Yeah, that's true. This woke, wokeness. Anti-woke. I am brigade. appearing on GMB. I'm, I'm appearing on GB News. <laughs> we are one of the few watch. sponsors that GB News has left. <laughs> the now showing podcast. You know, if that show is going so downhill so quickly, we might be able to afford an advert on on GB News. <laughs> that would be so good. Oh my god, we need to do it. I mean, I'm going to find out how much it costs, and we're going to start a Patreon or something, and we're going to advertise on GB. News. <laughs> Just one advert. <laughs> um, so the Lord of the Rings anime film is called Lord of the Rings: The War of the, of the Rohirrim, um, and oh, that's uh, a good track is... on the soundtrack. I don't remember what that's about, but that's a good track on the soundtrack. I listened to that. Oh right, the War of the Rohirrim. Yeah. All <laughs> oh, right. Um, we so it's supposed to be um, the it, the story will de- depict the bloody saga behind Helm's Deep, the fortress dis- uh, depicted in the two towers, and the man in whose honor it is named How- Helm Hammerhand. The legendary King of Rohan, who spent much of his reign locked in a prolonged and costly war. So it's supposed to be um, linking. It's supposed to be uh, like very much uh, in the same universe as the Peter Jackson film. So it's very like connected yeah. um, to to the, good. the both of those trilogies. So um, it's very much clear that the way that Lord of the Rings are being done now with a new TV series and this anime show is that essentially. Instead of being di- just seen as direct a- adaptations, uh, they're essentially turning those two films retrospectively into part of a cinematic universe, which is very much in vogue now. Um, yeah, three films. So the- sorry, three. Films. I meant two, tri- two, two trilogies. Oh, I two trilogies. Sorry. I see what you mean. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Completely forgot with- about the Hobbit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I always feel like the Hobbit gets too harshly talked about because only- because I feel like people would. People act like only the first film's good, but I think if the third film was good, everyone would say it was good. But it's just because the because the second film is still good, but because the third film is shit, yeah. everyone's like, I didn't like the whole thing like at all. You didn't? Do you not even like the first film? No, not really. I feel like it's really? the first. I I know it's I know it's weird saying this because it literally is, but I feel like it's the first chapter of a bigger story. But it doesn't feel like it has its own story within it. Like I know it's the first chapter of a trilogy but it is the first third of a book and the first yeah. third of a book isn't a complete story and it just feels like what's 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 the point in this it feels like the first Te- two episodes of a tv show technically uh 
the Lord of the Rings films are actually sections of a larger book. They're not individual books. Well, that's true. But, well, actually, I think they were originally, he wanted to publish them as Lord of the Rings, but he was forced to divide them up because it was too big. So I think they really? are actually three books. Right. Well, but they're definitely three sections. three sections. Yeah, it's yeah. three sections. They're, like they're three very three much sections. divided up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so this this is like, they're making it into a cinematic universe, which is And I'm happy surprising. with that. Yeah, yeah, I I'm am. Because you can't redo it... the original. You can't redo Lord of the Rings because those that trilogy is like perfect. Oh, just excellent! Just I'm yeah, sure excellent. they will eventually because money. But it is sure. like untouchable. Like everyone agrees that is the definitive Lord of the Rings story. And there's a lot yeah. of stuff missing, so it wouldn't surprise me if they make films set during the same time and even during the same events, but like not centering around those characters and those things like because obviously there's a, there is a lot missing because the books are so hefty you can't fit everything in so it wouldn't sure. surprise me if they go back and say oh yeah this is taking place at the same time as the battle of helm's deep but we're on the other side of the like field or whatever um just to flesh it out even more and add to the original story yeah, yeah, and and this, this stuff is all very obviously very original because there's not that much that um, you know Tolkien ever wrote about. So it's, well, it's interesting got that the, Tolkien uh, estate. They've got that. I can't so remember what really. it's called. That's it. Yeah, they've got that, and Something. I think that's what the Lord of the Rings show is about. So I don't. I actually. I'm, I think you're wrong. Actually, I think it's Am original I? stuff. I think. It? I think it is. That, yeah, that which is why there was some controversy because I think. Um, I think the Tolkien estate essentially is, is, is cut us back down off like being very protective. Maybe I'm assuming that they've been forced money down their throat. Um, yeah. But Tolkien's son died fairly recently. So maybe whoever um, is now the leader of the Tolkien estate is a bit less protective as he was. So yeah. maybe that's... Uh, that is interesting because yeah, so. I, just, I just assumed and I thought it was. I might be wrong. I'll check it out. But I, I believe... I know it's I, not an adaptation of that Samirillion. That, but, um, yeah, Samirillion. I, I thought that it was like taking stuff from that, but that's interesting if they've not like more original stuff. In a way, that's more exciting because I'm interested to see what someone else does in that universe. Sure, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, I've Googled it. I don't think it is. No, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's based more on stuff. I think it's based on stuff in the Lord of the Rings, perhaps. Um, oh, that is cool. Okay. So that was the little news shit that I was talking about. So we'll start off by um, of our first of the three films we'll review today will be The Father, um, which uh, the, the Father is a drama film directed by Florian Zeller, which is his directorial debut, um, and won two Oscars at the most recent uh, Academy Awards, uh, which were um, best adapted screenplay. Best Adaptive Screenplay and Best Actor, correct. And it also got nominated for Best Picture and Supporting Actress for Olivia Coleman, um, which it, you know, and it won, and also won some BAFTAs. Uh, no, it didn't. Did it not? It won yeah, it did. The golden, it won, yes, it won Best Actor and Adaptive Screenplay as well at BAFTAs. And it also won the Golden Globes, but who cares about the Golden Globes? I think we've yeah. won some Golden Globes. Um, so... The Father is the story of uh, an elderly gentleman played by Anthony Hopkins um, who is known just as Anthony um, and it follows him going through dementia. So 
essentially that in itself the so i'm essentially going to give kind of very small plot spoilers because it's, it's a hard film to talk about because uh the events are so strange and it kind of doesn't have a plot but it's also yeah. it's, it's a bit but so essentially the main thing and this is a, i guess a technically is a kind of spoiler, is that you see the world through his eyes you deal with dementia as anthony hopkins do- uh, character goes for it so when he is talking to his daughter you know he walks into the next room and she looks different or you know the furniture changes and that is simulating the like the the brain of someone that has dementia so it follows him and his daughter who's played by coleman of course and occasionally other characters as well actually olivia williams also plays uh his daughter um and it, it faces her battle to try and convince him um to move into or uh, a uh with a carer or to a home and such to deal with him you know living alone as she has to move to paris um which you know much like a lot of the events, the events of the film, you question the true statement. You know, do, is, you know, it, does she really want to, or is that something he's made up? You know, there's there's an awful lot of events happen in the film, and even after the end of the film, you're left questioning, you know, what the actual of series of events were, because there are a lot of things that very con- uh, con- uh, they, they contradict one another, and there are things that you know you don't know whether he was just saying that you, you, there's, there's a lot of events that you know you don't know the full details of but then also there's a question about whether it matters of course um you know th- th- there is a point being shown here and the the film is obviously a piece uh, on dementia um rather than just you know it's it's, it's it's more about the message it's giving rather than the actual events so there's i guess there's no point dwelling on the particularly you know the 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 actual events but it uh, it stars uh, a number of other, you know, top um, British actors, including uh, Imogen Poots, who I praised heavily for her performance in Vivarium. Uh, Rufus Sewell, uh, Olivia Williams, Mark Gatiss uh, are, all, are all in this film. And um, uh, yeah, so it's based on a play um, by Florence Zeller. And a lot of people have criticised uh, this film for being stagey. Um, I would say I... I understand the criticism, but would disagree myself. Um, I wouldn't say that I felt like it. I don't know. What do you think about the stagey thing? You know, because because that's obviously a, a, a thing we'll talk about in the heights as well. But when there's the move from um, from from theatre into cinema, there is a kind of you know you're dealing with something that had used to have plot limitations of of, of a stage and you. Do you think this film felt cinematic, or do you think this film does deal with that staginess? Uh, I think most adaptations of a stage play suffer from that. You know, it's difficult to take something that was written, you know, it was literally written with the fact that you, you know, if you replace the camera for the audience, you can't move the camera, you can't change locations quickly. Really, you're limited to like two locations because you can only change the set so drastically during the interval. Um, so I think most things do suffer from that. You know, you, you, when you're writing it as a play, you can only view it from one angle. You can't move that angle and you have to make sure that it looks good and makes sense to everyone, no matter how close to the stage they are or as far 
no matter how far away they are. So I think when you take that and put it into a film, it's very, very difficult to make it feel cinematic. And I, I spoke about this when I came on back when I was a guest about One Night in Miami, because I said One Night in Miami to me is one of very, very, very few adaptations of a stage play that does feel cinematic and I praised Regina King a lot for the way that she did that she took something that was meant for the stage and made it feel cinematic and I can't think off the top of my head of any other plays that do that and The Father is one of them it doesn't feel cinematic it feels like a stage play but I don't feel like that's a criticism it's a stage play, it's based on a stage play it's, of course it's stagey um, I don't feel like that's a criticism you know, it's not got interest in cinematography it's not got interest in direction, um, but it's good. It's adequate. It does the job. Um, so I don't agree with that, but I definitely see where they're coming from because it is definitely stagey. I'm going to... Okay. I've got to say this. I legally am obliged to say this. Okay. Um, when you're talking about stage plays that are adapted that don't feel stagey, yeah. Baby Teeth... Is Baby Teeth a stage play? Yeah, Baby Teeth's a play. I did not know that Baby Teeth was based on a play. Yeah. So yeah, that, that I'd say is, that is as that well. Is, that doesn't feel stagey at all. Yeah, and I'd I have agree. To, I, well, there I you go. I didn't even know to. it was based on a play, so it definitely doesn't, because yeah. I didn't notice it. As, as the, the leader of the Baby Teeth fan club, I have an <laughs> obligation to say that. Uh, yeah, I, I do think that there are times where you feel it. I, I would say that this film is in essence cinematic but does does have you can very much tell at points but then obviously it's aided by the fact that it moves it swaps out um like people taking away chairs and such um with with crafty editing which um you know i think the editing in this film is is absolutely excellent i think it was nominated for 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 best editing is that right i think it was yeah yeah, I think it was. Um, the other thing is this film is exceptional. Um, but yeah, so I think that it... it I don't know, it's, it's a tough one because part of me... Yeah, it is stagey to a degree. Yeah, it, it is stagey to a degree. But I think there are definitely adaptations that feel worse than that. I actually don't think that... I don't think that's a... Gr- I don't personally think that One Night in Miami is, actually, is that good of an example, actually. I think One Night in Miami actually does feel a bit stagey. Um uh, I, I I didn't think the Ma Rainey felt stagey at all, which a lot of people did. Oh no, um, I did. For example, I think Ma Rainey yeah, was one I, of the the biggest examples of a stage play feeling stagey for me. Yeah, but yeah, there's that limitation to to to. But then I guess with the, with a play a story like The Father, I don't know how over the top it could have got. But I've I've kind of danced around starting to review it. But if you want to oh, kind yeah. of go into your your more um, general thoughts on the film, and uh, you can do so now. I did forget that this begun with the the plot summary of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the father, I saw it ages ago, and I saw it at the beginning of this month as well, but I haven't seen it in a while, and I did forget that we were doing it, so I haven't thought about it so much. But um, I I really loved the father. I thought it was, you know, I didn't expect it to be much. It was one of those films where everyone was laughing and joking about it and saying like it doesn't exist because no one had seen it. There was no release date. No one knew when it was going to come out. But it was getting nominated for awards, and it was winning awards. And um, I, f- <clears throat> I finally got to see it like a few weeks before the Oscars, um, and I saw it again at the beginning of this month. And I did, I loved it. I thought it was incredible. I think 
and um, I did say this during our, our Oscars episode, I think Anthony Hopkins gives one of the best performances I've ever seen. Not just of the year, not just of Anthony Hopkins, but one of the best I've ever seen of anyone. I think he cap- it encaptures the confusion and complete feeling of being lost in your own home and being lost in your own environment completely perfectly. And I think he easily was the best actor this year. There was no question in my mind when I saw it. I was like, yes, this performance is the performance of the year, the definitive performance of the year, maybe even the definitive mm-hmm. performance of the decade. Although no, it's a new decade. But um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's not saying much because it was 2020. But um, <laughs> I thought Olivia Coleman was incredible. She, like Anthony Hopkins, played that completely complete feeling of being lost and confused. She played that feeling of like, you know that this person is wrong and you know that they are lost and you know that they're not making sense but you love them and it's your dad so you can't get angry with them you can't snap you've got to kind of make sense and it's that feeling of when she looks when and i won't get into too many spoilers when anthony hopkins is talking to the character imogen poots plays who's a potential carer and he kind of snaps and goes off and you can see Olivia Coleman looking like, I can't say anything because he doesn't know any better. But you can see that she's completely devastated. And mm. it's, it, I think the screenplay is fantastic. Um, it's a great, really great screenplay that, you know, the actors capture every emotion that they need to and the screenplay gives them the lines that they need to do it as well. Um, uh, so, and yeah, you said you spoke about the production design, about them changing furniture, and I completely agree. The way that they'd walk into a room and they wouldn't shove it in your face. Like the first time I watched it, it took me a while to notice. And then I went back, because I was watching it on a laptop, I could rewind. I went back, rewound it, and I was like, oh, that's a different kitchen. It's a completely different kitchen, but you don't notice it at first because it's so subtle. And I love how they don't shove it in your face and like have a close up of the uh, the kitchen cupboards changing style. And they don't have a close up of the chair and they don't linger on the chairs so that you don't pay attention to what kind of chairs they are. And then you don't notice what they uh, what they've changed to. It just happens. Um, and the layout of the apartment as well. It's very impressive uh, for reasons that I won't get into because they're spoilery. Um, but mm. everything about the production design is perfect to me, and it's it's, it's with with that situation. There is an awful lot of times um, where you you know you walk from the kitchen to the to the bathroom, whatever, and, and the kitchen, and when you walk back, the kitchen looks different, or whatever. And it is such a perfect um, like um, like connection or a perfect um you know co-play between the 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 editing and the and the uh production design you know they work so well in tandem together and they have to both be so spot on but when it works so well it's done so and that is the thing that is so good about the fact that it's been taken to cinema um and i talk about in the heights about how you know how useful it is that you've got you know the the some you know the usage of, of techniques that you can't use in on a stage and the fact that you can you know say not just change a, a one plate or change a, a chair the fact that the whole room can change and the whole building can change and you know there are scenes where you know what you think he's walking into his house and he's actually gone to a doctor's appointment you know it looks like the same room and all these little things you know it's it's not only the production design it's also the editing and it's it, yeah it's 
it's an exceptional example of both of those things and it fully deserves being talked about in, in both of them and, and nominated for both of them as it was i agree i think it should have won uh, both of them actually i think it should have won editing and production design that's not what you said on our i, ha- I have changed my mind since... you said nomadland <laughs> oh that's true that apart from nomadland you said, you said nomadland for editing yeah that's true i'd give no i'd still give nomadland editing but um, sure. I'd give uh, the father production design hands down. I've always said father should win production it's Mank, design. It's Mank, wasn't it? That, that won it. Yeah, because I think Mank did yeah. have really elaborate production design, and I completely see why mm. that won and it deserved it. But I think the way that this used production design was better for me. I don't want to contradict whatever I said two months ago, so therefore I'm not going to make a comment. <laughs> I don't when remember you, what um... I said then. <laughs> no, no, the way. Um, when you started talking, when before I came on the podcast, when I, when I I came on the podcast. Um, I was kind of, when I was thinking about doing the review for The Father and I was thinking about things I'd say, um, I was thinking, don't mention Chadwick Boseman. Don't mention Chadwick Boseman. Don't mention Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> so that's, I, I, Sam, I need to not do this. And then you go off for easily the best performance of last year. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I don't think it was the best performance of last year. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think Chadwick Boseman was the best performance of last year. But Anthony Hopkins is absolutely exceptional here. And I, you know, I've talked a long time a lot often about how much I love Silence of the Lambs and we reviewed it one of the earliest episodes of the podcast back in 2019 um, and and Anthony Hopkins you know is exceptional in that and deserved winning the Oscar with only 12 minutes of screen time best leading actor with 12 minutes of screen time I read 60 minutes but this trumps it he's he's genuinely better here um, at the age of, of you know 80 something um, with you know the a very personal and in the absolute opposite of of uh Silence of the Lambs because he's a character that the screen the camera almost never leaves you're with him for the whole time and he puts in something that is undoubtedly you know a a performance but also one that is believable and one that you get absorbed into and I've heard people criticize and actually specifically heard Mark Kermode um, who you know somebody that I talk about a lot because I listen to him a lot um, mm. talking about how he felt like he was watching a performance and that Hopkins was overrated for I don't agree at all I think that he pulls off this this mixture of confusion and arrogance and trying to kind of keep headstrong and walk through it all and not admit defeat and it's kind of stiff off a lip vibe to, to a lot of the older people uh, the older generation in such a believable way that whilst I can pull myself out afterwards and say okay that was an excellent performance whilst I was in there I'm fully accepting of being completely wrapped up in the character of Anthony um, which obviously is obviously slightly annoying these days, the same thing yeah. but it, it really it, it is an absolute exceptional performance and you know we, it, I agree I think that, that we had two very strong performances last year, but I think that Anthony Hopkins uh, would be deserving of the Oscar in almost any year. Um, and I think that he will go down as one of the greatest performances of this decade. And and I, um, I, I definitely think that. I just think that, that Chadwick also will. Um, or as I should. Um, his performance is excellent. Um, from a... Uh, for example, as I say, you've already said talked about the production design, but I also think the usage of music in this is very is very strong because mm. um, it's one of the yeah. things that this film is not only about dementia. This film is not only seeing what he sees. This film is your. This film is set entirely within his brain. You live within Anthony Hopkins' brain in this film, and that's you know you, the way that the music is so the music blares and. 
you feel the music when he's listening to it. You know, it's like you're living inside him, and and the the, the usage of that classical music to to set the scene and to you know to, to obviously deal with the actual events that happen, but also to connect him back to the fact that yeah, he's in his eighties and that's the kind of music he listened to. And I think that you know the usage of music is very very strong here, and I think that um, you say Olivia Coleman. I, when I watched this film again, I was surprised at not how much Liv Coleman isn't in this. Actually, I think that, that I remembered her being even more. But a lot of it is about her character from the conversation that Anthony has with other characters yeah. and thing. And I think this film has less of her than I imagined it would. Um, yet yeah, it's very, very, very strong and deserves a supporting actress nomination, despite that. Um, and I, I think it's a very sensitive subject matter dementia and, and this film is essentially this you know the plot as i said the plot doesn't matter because it's all about the message um and it's 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 gruesome and it's miserable and it you come at this film thinking god i think i i well the, the two thoughts are god i don't want my mum to get dementia god i don't want my dad to get dementia god i don't want to get you know whatever and then your also thought is oh god i don't want to get dementia you know because we're all going to be old someday yeah it's a terrifying thought yeah um we're well, gonna have think... to watch our, our our parents deal with it, and then we're mm. gonna have to deal with it, and and that that is grim. But yeah. I was gonna say is that whilst it, it's got that, the film is actually really fun. It's playful. It is. It's and very it's funny. There it's, were it's, several yeah, times it's... when I saw it in the cinema, people were laughing out loud, and it was funny. Yeah, which it, is it's completely funny. not what you expect from a film no, about yeah, a man with it, dementia. It's it's kind of. You know, it's it's kind of like those videos of people with Tourette's that everyone thought was so funny in primary school, which I was in secondary school, which I was slightly didn't like the fact that everyone thought that was so funny. Yeah, but it's like you know, but, it's like there's a kind of car crash thing of you can't look away, and and his dementia leads him to say stupid things and silly things and funny things, and yeah, and and I think that shows that you know that that which is obviously very real. Um, but he's is and and he he's obviously a very witty you know the the character that that Anthony used to be obviously a very witty and intelligent man in his younger years. Um, and it's, it's and it's also the way in which it is edited and the production design and the way that you you change around the, the scenes, it makes it confusing and much as dementia must be like. But it is also a really really enjoyable cinematic viewing. You know that's a, a gimmick that's done exceptionally well. And yeah, that makes it fun. It's also really short. It breezes past. It's like just under half, an hour and a half, I think, without the credits. So. It, it makes for one of the most watchable films, I think, that's out in the cinema right now. Yeah, I completely agree. It is very watchable and even very rewatchable, even though we've both said a, a lot of times about several different things that we love this, but it's very heavy and I don't think I could watch it again so quickly. Whereas with this, it's very heavy and I feel like I could go and watch it again and have a great time. Yeah, I actually time. might watch it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, first bit there. yeah <laughs> I might watch it tomorrow after I get vaccinated. Let's go. Ooh, yeah. I still not have my text. That's because you're anti-vax, isn't it? You very much made it yeah, clear that you don't I've, want... I've not had my vaccine yet because I'm anti-vax. I have actually I don't they get my banned you getting the vaccine because apparently I wasn't worth saving. um um no but um yeah so i might might rewatch this tomorrow Um, just to clarify by the way i am not anti-vax the audience decide um yeah um i don't know if there's anything more else that that i should we should say before we, we we move on to 
what I want to talk about specifically spoilers. Is there anything I was else just you about yeah, I was just I was just about to say because I thought you were going to say move on to in the heights. I was going to say isn't there one thing yeah, that you have it... wanted to speak about? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, well, before I go into spoilers, I'll say that, that I've mentioned this to you loads of times, um, and you're tired of hearing me say it, but I've not said it on the podcast. Which is my mum works in an old people's home and she works in the dementia ward. Um, so I watched this film first time with her and obviously it's, she was very interested in it because, you know, this is an insight into something that's very close to her. It's, it's very personal and she greatly enjoyed the film um, and she thought it was an accurate depiction of dementia. I think she thought it was very interesting. The idea of being able to get a a, a, a step, uh, a walk into you know, the, the mind of what it could be like to deal with those people that she talks to that, that forget her name every day and that think their mum's going to come over even in their 80s and, you know, all these things that she comes home and tells me uh, when, whenever I, when obviously I don't live at home, but, you know, when I do live at home. Um, so, you know, it's very much, you know, you know, it's important to her and she did have an issue, one of the things I'm going to move on to. Now, this is a plot spoiler. Um, so this film is in a way... You know, it doesn't risk. Basically, I don't think it matters if you know the spoilers because it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. Um, so I think if you know, I would say that you know, if you want to watch this film, you know, I still don't think the spoiler would ruin it. But if you want to skip it, you know, do so. And I'll leave a link in the description so that you can you can skip past this. So I'm gonna do that now. But I have an issue with this spoiler warning. I have an issue with the last scene of the film. So the film ends for anyone that hasn't seen it that is willing to hear the spoiler, with Anthony Hopkins' character um, realising, waking um, to the fact that he is now in a um, old people's home. He is in a, uh, in a retirement home um, and he is being nursed um, by Olivia Williams' character um, and Mark Gattis' character. Um and and he talks with the nurse and he cries and he goes back into a very childlike state and he says he wants his mummy um and um so on and so forth and the woman um calms him down the nurse comes down and m- my mum was very very like as soon as it happened she was like that's wrong what my mum had a problem with very clearly was that she calls him baby, which is very much not what you would do. And you think that a film that is so clearly trying to um, show a reality, you know, that what it really is like living with dementia uh, and the way that other people have to kind of tiptoe around him a lot of the time. And especially that happens with Paul, who is the a character that maybe doesn't exist. I'm not exactly sure. It's Rufus Sewell's character. Um, the way that he, you know, it's very, everyone tiptoes around him, and you wouldn't do, you wouldn't deal with with someone that mentioned, you know, like that by saying baby because that is so like just not what you do because that's confusing and it implies a level of familiarity which is not true or not family, and he's also dealing. He thinks himself in a childlike state. That was that that that's something my mom had a problem with. That that and it sounds like a small thing but when you've gone out of your way to make a film that's so authentic it's slightly annoying that they left that in but what i have a problem with is a wider thing which is this film goes out of its way to show dementia how it really is how you deal with his brain you don't think that he's crazy because you know that what he's de- you know the side of reality that he's dealing with if this if you saw a shot of this film from Olivia Colman's point of view then you think he's 
you know bonkers because you know he's he's talking nonsense and he's making things up and he's he's asking about people that don't exist and all this stuff but because we see it through his point of view every single thing he thinks and says is justified because you know he's complaining about that man that he just saw because we just saw that man he's complaining about oh you said you're going to paris because she did say in, in our version of events that she was going to Paris, etc., etc. What I don't dislike is that the last scene, which is one of the most poignant scenes of the film and is one of the last things anyone's going to remember because it ends, that's when the film ends, one of the most important scenes of the film, is one where we suddenly break from Anthony's character. He starts talking about needing to see his mummy. He wants to get picked up. He acts child, he's like a baby. And that's not like that's not something that wouldn't happen. I'm not saying that that's not because I'm sure and our mum says, you know, when she comes home that people say their mum's coming over and stuff like that. That's fine. But we haven't seen his mum. We haven't got a reason to think he needs to get picked up. We don't think that he's like that. And the fact that that character breaks off, I think takes you out of it it's, it's all about making you live through him it's all about what the reality of his existence and when you suddenly think you think oh he's bonkers you know what i mean obviously we don't you know that's a very harsh way of saying it but you know what i mean it's 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 the, the way that now we treat him as if you know he's a different character in a film that we are just watching you know i think it really spits on the gimmick of it and it, it spits on the on the moral thing of like that that's that people with dementia shouldn't be insulted and it's worth tiptoeing around and and you can't blame them and that's just the way that his character is by i think removing us from that reality and, and taking us out into the real world it, I, I think that introducing that so late on as well i really think that was a very poor decision for me i think definitely takes this away from being like one of my favorite films of the year or being a 10 out of 10 or anything do you think that's, that's fair criticism or do you think that i'm talking nonsense um, well, I don't know whether it's fair, but I don't. I definitely don't agree. I actually really like the fact that the final scene is we stop seeing it from Anthony's perspective and we become like the omnipotent viewer and we can see like, it's almost like, because I don't know whether it's just the way that I view things and view films, but I tend, I don't like it when a film is confusing and it shows me the events of the film from the perspective of someone who is confused and who doesn't know what's going on. Like, it's appropriate for this film because it's about dementia and it's about showing what it's like to have dementia. But I still really very appreciated the fact that it ended and it kind of went, now this is what is actually happening to this person. Like, you've seen what he thinks and now this is the truth. This is what's actually happening to him. Because it, the final scene really makes it unclear, A, how much time has passed from the beginning of the film, and B, how long it's been like this. Like, you know, the nurse at the end says that he's been here for a number of weeks, or maybe even a number of months. And um, it's like, has the whole film been set during those few months, and he's incredibly confused? Or has he been there for the past few months and we've had a time jump and he's but i don't necessarily worse. have a problem with the film ending with a scene very much like the first scene of the film the first film opens with olivia Coleman's character telling him what's happening around yeah. her going to paris and stuff if a film ended with a scene of him in the hospital and she explains everything right yeah that that's okay to me it's the fact that we then have midway through the scene a split between our reality and his when he starts talking about his mum and he gets confused. If we if we could have very much witnessed him being told, you've been here for a number of weeks, I'm whatever my character's called, Lucy or whatever, Laura, whatever her name is. Um, 
you know, uh, Catherine, I think her name's Catherine. I'm Catherine, thing. And we can much leave it there. You know he'll forget that, but that did it happen in his head. With the time skip thing, I think that's fine. It's the fact that I then see him as a confused old man. That's that I have the problem with. I don't mind being us told. I don't have a problem. I don't think that it would be a good idea to leave us left in the dark. But it's the fact that there's that split. I think that it's if you had the scene cut halfway through and she just said, oh, you've been here this long. And he goes, oh, my God, really? You know, whatever or whatever. That, that's fine to me. It's, it's, it's the split for me between us being in his brain and us seeing him. Well, I... No, I don't agree with that. I don't. I, I kind sure. of know what you mean, but I don't agree with that. I think because one aspect of dementia as well is it's not like most diseases where you know that there's something wrong with you. People who have dementia think they're fine and they don't know like that there's anything wrong with them. They just think, you know, if they come in and see that the kitchen's completely changed design, they're like, oh, someone has changed my kitchen. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so I actually really like the fact that it ends with us realizing how bad it like throughout it like you say we're well, told i don't very... think you need to do that to show how bad it is i don't I think, think you need the... it but i definitely don't the... think that it's a weakness of the film i don't think it holds it back in any way i like i say I, I actively enjoyed it more because of that final scene i think having that scene where we finally say like oh we're all confused in this reality um, and the, in Anthony's head and then for us to kind of be able to step back and say right now we're looking at him and see how confused he is I think that makes it better for me to see how confused and completely lost this old man is to me yeah. really improves it and makes it even more devastating than if we'd have just experienced it from our perspective or from Anthony's perspective yeah I, I think that those those two things i personally don't think those two things are, are mutually exclusive i think you could um very much do both the i think you could illustrate just how how much it's gone but without a way that alienates us from from him and obviously we disagree um so there's yeah. no point keeping going on about it because we uh, we're not going to convince one another um but it's just a, a problem I've had with the film. I had both times I watched it, and and it's something that I think that personally I, I I think goes a little bit against the purpose of a lot of what happens in the film. Um, however, that is the, the the only real criticism I have in a film which is written excellently, acted perfectly, um, is edited exceptionally well, has world class production design and good music. Uh, the only criticism is it does feel a little bit stagey at points, and I, I personally haven't shown that that last scene. But otherwise. It really is. Uh, it, it is the best film that's out of the cinema right now. Um, it came out last week, last Friday in the UK. I don't know how long it'll be in the cinema still. Maybe another week or so. Uh, I'd I'd very much recommend anyone to go see this that hasn't watched it. Um, very de- deserving of the Oscars it received. Um, and I would give it a nine and a half out of ten. Ooh, nine and a half. Um, yeah, I don't want to give it. I so say that ten, that that, that problem I have with the scene. Well, yeah. Bits, yeah, nine, nine, nine or nine and a half. Wow, I'm imp- I'm I'm impressed because I feel like I like it more than you, and I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. Right. Okay. So. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. For we already talked about rewatchability is it, the fact that it's a, it's so short and it's surprisingly playful. Yeah, that I think it's, it's very an rewatchable. Easy and I I will again I'll watch it okay, if I don't need to taste time for now. Yeah. Um, so the 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 man in the match. Um, I think we're both going to go for Anthony Hopkins, surely. Yeah, we are. I don't see how you uh, could go it, to anyone else. Maybe the production exception- designer, but it's Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, it's an exceptional directorial debut from Florence Zeller. 
you know, it's it's amazing that this is his first film. Um, yeah. You can see it's, it's one of the, the brightest debuts you've seen in a, in a long time. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited for his new film, which is The Sun. Yeah. Which is, that sounds know, like a joke, wonder, but it's not. Yeah, it does. It does. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> his first film was The Father. His second film was The Sun. That sounds like I'm a bit taking a piss. Yeah. Yeah. I very much. I wonder if the is the third film going to be called another family member, the the daughter, the mother. Oh, I expected it to it be the be, father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. I was, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> is it going to be? Yeah, or is it going to be the Holy Ghost? Yeah, a person here of the Holy Ghost. Me too. Um, it takes a very drastic religious turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, that was uh, our review of uh, the father. Whew. Um. It's always weird. I, I never know what to say. I said this. I think I said this last week. Actually, is that I never know what to say between the reviews because it kind of feels a bit weird to just go straight know, from yeah. one to the other. We need to but, find. Um, we need to find a way to segue. Yeah. Um, in the Heights now. Um, <laughs> in the Heights is a new musical film based on Lin Manuel, Manuel Miranda's first musical, In the Heights. Um, which won four Tony Awards, I believe. Um, and, of course, Lima Miranda, best known for creating the musical Hamilton, which was written whilst this film was out on Broadway, I believe. Um, In the Heights is a film uh, starring, directed by John M. Chu, who directed Crazy Rich Asians, um, and stars Anthony Ramos um, as a man called Uznavi, um, and it follows his life uh, living in Washington Heights, um, in which you know there is a uh, he is has an opportunity to return to his na- hometown, his native land of the Dominican Republic. And whilst he is doing that, he's also mixing that with um, a love interest, uh, which is played by uh, Melissa Barrera. Um, and it deals with that, whilst um, a series of other people deal with either coming to Washington Heights or leaving Washington Heights. Uh, his love interest, Vanessa, is leaving Washington Heights to a better part of New York. Um, the film starts with um, Nina Rosario, who is one of Ramos's close friends, uh, played by, uh, sorry, it was Navi's close friends, played by Leslie Grace. She has just come back to Washington Heights and it deals with topics such as gentrification and um, some uh, I think it does touch a few times on racism um, and and living in in um, the more uh, community focused areas of of New York Um, and the film has been widely praised uh, and also attracted some controversy due to racial issues that we'll talk about later Um, now I've been extremely it, we seem there seems to be this thing, right? That apparently I don't like musicals, right? Yeah. But I don't actually have like we. The more I talk about it, I actually think I liked more musicals I've seen than I haven't liked, right? Um, it's just perhaps that the uh, for musical films that is. Um, it's just that perhaps the idea of them isn't so for me. Um, you know, and I'm not big you know, the Andrew Willard Webber kind of type of musical isn't isn't my kind of vibe, um, but. Um, of course, we need to build the tension here, and we can't start off with me doing the uh, doing the review because that would be boring. So we have to, the tension will have to to, to to rise. So we'll start off with you. Um, so what did you think of In the Heights? Well, I am very very conflicted about In the Heights because I I didn't like it, 
I didn't like it. And I was Ooh. very, very shocked that I didn't like it because I love musicals, unlike you. <laughs> and right. I'd seen a couple of the trailers, but I wasn't paying attention to them really. And it seemed like a really good vibe, like a really upbeat, happy, enjoyable, feel-good musical. And I was like, yes, I'm excited to watch it. And I watched it, I think I watched it last week, just over a week ago. Um, and I was sat there, I was watching it. And about half an hour in, maybe an hour in, I was like, I'm not enjoying this. I'm just not enjoying it. And I don't, I don't know why. And I left and I was like, I didn't enjoy that. I didn't, I did not enjoy that at all. I didn't like it. And it, it's weird because the more that I think about it, there are so many things about it that I thought were good. Like I thought the direction was great. The cinematography was incredible. The way that they shot the dance sequences. And there's one shot that's like going all over Twitter where it's a shot of Usnavi looking through a window and we can see the dancing in the reflection of the window. And it's the cinematography is great and the choreography is great and the singing is great and the acting is great. Um, but the mu it's the music. I don't like the music. I didn't think the music was good. And for me, the music is the most important part of a musical. It's literally the title of the genre, music, and I didn't enjoy the music. When I watch a musical, I want to be humming and singing the music for the ne next week. I want to have it stuck in my head for the next week. I want to leave the, the cinema and immediately download the soundtrack onto my phone and listen to it on the way home. And, you know, I, I can't get out of my head. I'm constantly listening to it. And I haven't, like, I don't, I don't even, if you ask me now, hum one song from In The Heights, I wouldn't be able to do it. I don't remember them because they were just forgettable. I didn't like them. Um, and I think I, I expected to like this, but I knew that I wouldn't like it as much as most people because I've never been a big fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda. I wasn't a fan of Hamilton and I've never seen In The Heights uh, up until like the stage musical. I've never seen the stage musical of In The Heights. Um, but I've never been a big fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda, but I still thought I'd like it, but I just didn't. Uh, and I think I've narrowed it down as to why. And I can thank someone else, though I don't know who, for this explanation. But someone on Twitter, I saw a viral tweet saying that Lin-Manuel Miranda's music sounds like a 90s educational anti-drug rap where they all sound the same and it's just very quick rapping over a generic copyright free beat and I think that's it like the music I was listening to some of the songs and I was like is this a reprisal from a song that was in the first half or is this a new song because it's just rapping over a beat like there's nothing new it's just Anthony Ramos rapping over a beat and he's rapping very well and Lin-Manuel Miranda is a fantastic lyricist but I don't think he's a good music producer and like I said the music is the most important part of a musical I have watched many musicals that I think are shit but if the music's good I will still go and watch it and I'll still watch it again and again and again I don't like I don't think The Greatest Showman is good I think the story's bad I don't like the acting I don't like the writing I don't like anything about The Greatest Showman but that, that album is still on my playlist and I still listen to the music and when I watch it, I still have a great time because it's fun. It's the opposite with this. I think this is so technically well made, but I just don't have fun with it. I think the story is amazing. It's such a good story and an important story as well, but I just don't, I did, I just don't like the music and I think 
I can't get past the fact that I don't like the music and the fact that the music isn't for me taints the entire thing and it taints the whole everything that I just said that I loved and thought was great it taints all of it because if I don't like the music I'm not going to go and watch it again you know I haven't I, I watched it like I say a week ago it came out today I have no desire to re-watch it no desire to watch it again I haven't thought about it since it's just I just I, I didn't have fun with it and I didn't enjoy it now, I've been overly negative, so I want to say a few of the good things. I listed earlier, I thought the cinematography was great, the directing was great, the acting and the singing was great. I also thought the production design was great. I know they shot a lot of this on location, but a lot of it wasn't on location. Uh, and even then, the way that they chose the locations was great. I think it looked really good. The locations were vibrant, and the uh, the rooms, like the, the salon that they were in and the shop, they were all authentic and they felt real. And I thought that was great. And I also want to give a very specific shout out to the sound team of In The Heights. Whoever did the sound mixing and the sound editing for In The Heights, I'm sure you listened to us. Shout out to you. Because one thing I did praise about the music is normally when you watch a musical, there's a very, very distinct and abrupt cut it, when you transfer from audio that was recorded on the set to audio that was recorded in a studio and I didn't, it was barely noticeable with this. It was a seamless transition between audio and, you know, dialogue that was recorded on set, on location, and audio of the singing that was recorded in a, an audio booth, in an audio studio. And that seamless transition was carried out so well in this. You know, it's, it's always one of my least favorite things about musicals, and it's very noticeable. So noticeable that even when they made Les Mis in 2012, they wanted to avoid it, so they just shot all of the... They recorded all of their songs on set. Um, but this proves that you can record in a studio and have studio-quality audio and still have a seamless transition between audio and... Uh, studio and on-location audio. Um, but, again, I just... I, I can't say I enjoyed it. I can't say that I liked it. I just didn't. Um, but, you know... I know that this film isn't for me. You know, when Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote In the Heights, he, uh, you know, a, a story about gentrification in a Latin American neighborhood, he wasn't thinking about white people from England. This isn't for me. The music isn't, I'm not the demographic, so it doesn't really matter. But, um, and, and this is an important film. So me, me not liking it doesn't really matter because, you know, lots of people have praised, and like you said, and I'm sure we'll get into, there is a lot to criticise as well about the representation. But still, to have an all-Latin American cast, you know, that is important and that is special. Um, and I think even Jimmy Smits... Is it Jimmy Smits? Is he the uh, is he the person I'm thinking of? He, yes. Yeah, he came out and said, seeing so many Latin people dancing and singing and cheering and celebrating their heritage and celebrating their block he said that that was amazing and that was inspirational and he was thrilled to see it and he thought it was emotional so this film is more than just a musical it's one of the best examples of latin american representation which isn't saying much because like i just said we'll get into that later but um you know this is more than just your average musical it's an important film that has an important story it's it tells an important story about gentrification and racism, but it's also important in the fact that this has good 
you know, this isn't a whitewashed cast, cast completely. It's the real Latin Americans, real Puerto Ricans and Cubans are in it, not, uh, you know, white Manhattan, Manhattan, white people from Manhattan. It's actual people that this story's about. And that's incredible. I just, I can't say that I enjoyed it. I can't say that I liked it. And I really hate that because I have been really looking forward to it, really wanted to like it. And we always say you don't like musicals. I don't know how you feel about it yet. And I'm very excited to see, but I feel like I should have been the one repping the musical and I should have been the one saying musicals are fun. They're great. No, you're wrong. It wasn't bad, but I'm the one saying I didn't like it. And I'm really disappointed with that. But what I will say, and I know that there is no objectivity in art, and I'm not saying that it's objectively good, but so many of the technicalities I thought were good. I thought the direct, like I've said, the direction, cinematography, all that, I thought that was very, very good, but I didn't enjoy it. So I can't bring myself to say, this film is great, go and watch it, because I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't have that connection to it. I don't know if you feel, I hope you feel differently, because I really want to, like, have some musical praise. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. It's hard for me to review in the heights. Finally time. Right. So, what do I think of In the Heights? Um, Here we go. It's, uh, it's, it's mixed. Oh, God. This is just hating on musicals now. Never going to be able to convince you to do a musical special. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like me and you are going to have two extremely different reviews, but end up basically the same rating, I imagine. Because I feel like I am going to just praise it for the next 10 minutes and then give it the same review rating that you will. And then you <laughs> hated on it. Because I came to this with the lowest of expectations because, not because I hate musicals, but because the trailer is god-awful. And I'm going to maintain the trailer is god-awful. It's cheesy and it's over the top. And the film is cheesy and over the top. But the the the, the trailer is dreadful. Um, and I came to this with very low expectations. And I find... I'm so edgy that anything popular is, is uncool. And obviously Hamilton is like super <laughs> like that. So I was like, oh, you know, this Hamilton bollocks, eh? So I really wasn't expecting to to like it. Um, and I didn't love it, but it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, or it was at least better than I thought it was going to be. And I tried to come up with, with fairly open mind. Um, I will say that it was a very awkward cinema trip because... It was me and some two people who were annoyingly close to me, like on the same row as me, like a couple. So it felt like I was third wheeling for the whole time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, In the Heights is just wonderfully vibrant. You know, the whole film from the start to the end has got this beautiful, you know, um, vibrancy and, and energy and excitement that is very much... I guess stereotypical of of what of the way that media depicts you know Latin America and such and and the concept of of, of the music culture surrounding it. But obviously this is about by someone that is Latin American, so you know I'm not criticizing it, but it has very much that that vibe and that that color to it. Um, and everything in the music and the acting and everything has got this this wonderful you know anticipation to it, uh, which obviously fits very well with the sense of change that fills the narrative of the film. Um, for a debut or, or not a debut, but the first um, large role, you know, this is the um, the I believe the the major screen debut of Anthony Ramos you know you haven't 
Um, yeah, so you like looking at his films, he's been small roles in in a, a number of films. This is the first time he's played a leading man, and he mm. really takes the the uh, the script and he really takes the the music and he, he, by by the by the throat and does an excellent job as was Navi and um, the character who's named because his uh, parents came over to America and saw a uh, a ship that said U.S. Navy on it and was so amazed at the, <laughs> the, the the scene of it that they decided he named he named the son as Navi. I have um, a funny story he... about that as well, if I may interject. Right. That is a. Uh... That made me laugh, but it's also very real because there is there's a drag queen called Juju B, who was on Drag Race, whose real name, I say real name, their out of drag name, is Airline, because when they first arrived <laughs> in the country, their parents at the airport saw the word Airline, and said that's what we're going to name our child. So really, their name is Airline, right? And it's spelled Airline, and it's pronounced Airline. So that is a real uh, thing that happens in real yeah, life. Yeah, very much. Yes, that's very close to, the, to what yeah. happens here. Um, but Anthony Robbs is excellent throughout, throughout as, as Navi, and, and I think you know he's he's a revelation. Um, and he, obviously, he can sing and dance and perform. He's a triple threat of sorts. Um, mm. And there's a number of, of, of very strong performances from both a mixture of very well-known actors like uh, Jimmy Smits, of course, who's a bit of a, you know, a, a legend, a veteran, who is, is very good in this, as he always is. I mean, he's just, he's just an excellent actor. And Stephanie Beatrice, uh, who's from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, she, she's in it, and she, she plays a, a, a salon girl. And, and, you know, a mixture of that and, and some unknown names, like, such as, you know, lesser-known names like Leslie Grace and Melissa Barrera, who I was unaware of before. Um I was not a fan of Corey Hawkins' performance as Benny. Um, I will admit that straight up. I thought he was really? quite poor, actually. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. Um, but uh, you know, I think overall the cast was was very strong. Lee Manuel Miranda is in it. He plays a um, like an ice cream vendor. Um, but I thought it was a very strong cast, and I thought that especially led by Anthony Ramos, that was very strong. Um, it's a funny thing because you say about the music, right? Um, uh, you had a problem with with some of, of the music and that he wasn't your kind of thing and that you wouldn't have in your playlist. Now, I'm not insane. I'd never have any song from music on my playlist because <laughs> actually, technically, I te- okay, I've got on my playlist, I use it as a joke. It's like a crutch. Uh, I have the Candyman, but it isn't the one from the film, Sammy Davis Jr.'s <laughs> cover of it. So I technically... But anyway, so I'd never have a... a I wouldn't put anything in the greatest show on my playlist because that'd be weird. It's not like music i listen to normally but um and whilst overall i kind of agree with you it's kind of pretty basic music um and i can't and a lot of the time uh, i was kind of waiting for it to finish um and the concept of people just brandly breaking into song kind of annoys me a little bit which i guess maybe walks into the fact that everyone thinks i hate musicals um but there yeah. was a few songs actually that i genuinely very much enjoyed uh 96,000 uh, is the name of one which is um it's a scene that's in the trailer for a bit which is in a poolside where there is a, a kind of rap um about um what they do if they each got $96,000 uh from a lottery ticket um and i thought that was genuinely a good song like i actually was like well, i'm actually enjoying this i think this is good um i think that the, the stuff that is more rap based rather than kind of you know traditionally musical you know like uh you know more um formatted more sung mm. i think that the, the raps the rap stuff is done way better personally and that's nothing to do with my personal taste because i like a lot of rap, a lot of rap 
it's, but I also like a lot of like indie music and stuff. But I thought that the rapping stuff was done stronger. Um, but 96,000, I thought, stood out as one of the, the better songs. I thought it was actually very good. Uh, there is a song that I'm now finding out is called Paciencia, Paciencia y Fe, um, which, uh, well, I don't know, you know, I, I butchered that, but it's a song that the, the ab- uh, his abuela, I will, his abuela. Yes, I will say that I, her, I did think that was a good song, but again, I don't remember uh, it. Yeah, her, it's about her um, growing up in Cuba. Which, you know, yeah, I thought that was a great cool. sequence. But uh, maybe there's some uh, <coughs> US propaganda in there. <clears throat> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that I thought that was uh, that was a very strong song as well. Actually, I thought it was very nice. It's not definitely not the kind of thing I'd have on a podcast because it's a slow song by a grandmother. Uh, but I thought that was good. And there's also a song sung in the salon, the tanning salon. It's called No Me Digger. Um, which is the one that they constantly repeats. Uh, tell me something. Uh, tell me something I don't know. I thought that was strong as well. Actually, I very much liked the, those songs. I thought they, they worked both uh, narratively and as actual music. I, I did enjoy some of the songs. Now, okay, for the majority, I was waiting for the songs to, to patiently awaiting the songs to finish. Um, but and I agree with your criticism that they are anti-drug, you know, generic anti-drug uh, films from from nineties America. I can see that. Um, but there were songs that are, that stood out to me as being strong. Um, I thought that, as you said, all the technical aspects, the cinematography is exceptional for, especially for a film like this. We wouldn't accept, you wouldn't imagine it to be that good. It's really good. Uh, the visual effects are, are very done really well. Like, for example, there's a scene where um, two kind of dances, oh, two, yeah. two women, a man and a woman dancing, walk up a a building that looks very good. It's in the mm. trailer, of course, but it looks very good. And um, yeah, it's. I think it's an awful lot strong with that from a, for a technical point of view. And I will say that overall, I was very impressed by In the Heights. I, I thought it was. It was. Uh, it, it ticks a lot of boxes. I didn't think it would. Now, the big point of the film is that it's just too long. That's the biggest issue with this film. It's over two hours. It definitely doesn't need to be over two hours, and it really drags. It's two hours and twenty-three minutes long. It really can. It could skim, an, you know, an hour off that. To be honest, it feels. I think a lot of the problems come from the narrative, personally. Um, the film is taken is is taught by kind of a mixture of of two narratives, right? It's taught through two the two perspectives, both of Uznavi, um, one of which is him in the mod in you know what we see as the present day, and another one is him in the future on the beach of Dominica or Dominican Republic, uh, talking to his children, um, recounting the story. Um, it feels like the film gets to a point it gets to events happen for the first 25 minutes and then the film is kind of like frozen in time for the next two hours or next hour uh, hour and a half whatever and then the last ending of the film things happen but there's like an hour and a half two hours of the film where nothing actually happens it's just a series of songs sung about things we already know are going to happen we know other people with we're finding out things that we already know, but just another character doesn't know. Or you know, we, there's this three, four, two, one days of the blackout that constantly play, and we're supposed to be surprised when there's a blackout. You know, it feels like t- that there's this, but the, the time just stood still, and no actual narrative progression happens for a massive chunk of the film. You're waiting for the end half. You're waiting for the late third act 
for something to happen for so much of it. And that makes the songs boring because you know that they're not going anywhere. It makes the, the you know the the added excess background characters come across as just kind of pointless or annoying. And I felt like it really made the film drag. You know, I think that it just feels like it's kind of in a malaise for, for quite a while. And I think that really takes away from something that could have genuinely been one of my surprises of the year. I will not say that I'm going to give it a particularly high rating because even though I'm only talking about this for as much as I will talk about something like a particular actor's acting, it is a really big problem with the film. It's a really, really big struggle. And, the, and that's the thing is that, like, I'd almost be tempted to go watch this again because... I'd like to experience it again with us knowing the songs and know the event and see if I like it even more. But I won't make myself watch it again unless someone really wants to go see it with me, because I just don't want to sit through the acting. I don't want to sit acting. I don't want to sit through the for the 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 middle section of just going through the motions. It just it just seems ten tedious. It seems tedious. I, I think that the pacing is just is, is dreadful, and it, it really uh, undermines what could have otherwise been, you know, one of my big surprises. I do know what you mean about the runtime, um, but at the same time, I feel like that happens in a lot of musicals. But I never normally care because it's filled with songs that I love and songs that I like jam along with and have fun with. But I didn't enjoy the songs in this, so I did feel exactly the same way. Although. I do think that's a big issue when adapting like a Broadway musical because they're very long Broadway musicals. Hamilton is like three and a half hours long. I don't know how long In the Heights was on Broadway, but I would imagine it's about three hours, maybe a bit longer. So you already have a story that's, you know, it plays out over three hours. You already have to cut it down to a, you know, a length that's suitable for film. You know, there's not much more that they could have cut out really without be making it like cutting out huge chunks of the plot and cutting out famous big important songs that are in it that people already know and love you know you can't cut out songs that people already love uh, so you've got to put them in where do you put them in you you know when you've got to cut out half of the plot to focus for runtime but you can't cut out the songs that come in those plots you've got to have segments where not much is happening but these songs happen um, and like I say, I wouldn't normally care that there's a lot of that in musicals, but because I didn't enjoy the songs in this, um, I just, yeah, yeah, I agree, it was too long. But if you enjoy the songs, I don't feel like you'll have that complaint. Yeah, I'm just checking how long Hamilton is on Disney+. Plus. It's 2 hours and 40 minutes, which I oh, maybe, yeah. maybe was a, maybe a slightly condensed version. I, yeah. I actually think I might go out of my way to watch um, Hamilton now. Yeah. Well, I think I haven't seen Hamilton. I have seen Hamilton. I wasn't a big fan of it because of the music. Again, I'm not a fan of the music. Um, right. Because of I just think it's Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, because I, I like the style of music that they go for in this. I like you know Latin American music and music that uh, sounds like that. It's just I, I can only blame Lin Manuel Miranda um, because. It, it all sounds very generic and I don't like that you know um, Yeah. and I, I do feel bad because I feel like I like almost everything about this, I only dislike one thing, but the one thing that I dislike is the unequivocally the most important thing and it sure. ruins everything else mm. 
Yeah, see, I didn't love everything about this film. And whilst I did a lot of positives, you know, I do have problems with, with the music, which I didn't talk about as much because you talked about it. And I didn't think I would like the music. For example, I don't like the music, or I couldn't remember a song from The Greatest Showman, except for the one that, for some reason, Logan Paul walked out to a song from The Greatest Showman before he fought Floyd the other day. <laughs> I don't know if you were aware of that. No, um, I wasn't aware of that. That's funny. He, he, he walked out a lot of those. I was never expecting to care about the music. So the fact that I actually liked a few songs was a surprise. But there are a lot of things I don't, I do have a problem with. And so I didn't think that, that Corey Hawkins was very good. Um, I, did, I, did, I have a problem with a lot of the narrative and the pacing. Um, I think that the story is so painfully predictable as well, actually, is basically exactly what I thought would happen from about the 10th minute. Yeah. Um, but the fact that's, that, that I admire the tone and the vibrance and. I, and I was surprised about how good it was. You know, it overshadows what could otherwise be a negative review. And I, I think it really, and we'll talk about the, the colorism stuff um, because, you know, we kind of have to, but on, on, a, on a different kind of more positive note, I have seen people on Twitter from the Latin American community and I feel happy seeing comments like, you know, I feel so represented and, and people that are very happy about, you know, being able to see uh, a very real part of obviously people don't run around seeing in in real life but a, a very real section of society and stuff and then, and I think that people have and people that have gone to see it They've seen it on HBO America because it just got it got released today or when we're recording. So yesterday, when you'll be listening to this, um, in in England, um, but people watch it nine, ten times already in America because they, you know, they they they're in love with it. And and I think you know I saw I saw a review likening it uh, to Black Panther. I saw on on the internet uh, today. Wow. In in it's like you know in the in in the feeling of uh, re- representation. Um, it feels like a, a you know the, the maybe part that was a section of society that was under represented when people were growing up is kind of a a thing of like oh you know things so whilst there is the issue with, with colorism and that's very important you know that that is nice to hear and stuff and obviously you know that that's mm. how I feel um, you know with with uh, with nobody you know as a sad sad <laughs> white man I feel very represented feel, by Joker. Yeah, exactly. That's very me. That is, yeah, I'm butchering the the highest rated uh, (laughs) review of nobody is um, on Letterboxd. During this, my dad turned to me and said, This is my Black Panther. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is excellent. Um, But yeah, I I think. uh, those those things are 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 nice. It's nice to hear that you know it's it, it is. But with an elephant in the room, um, there has been a controversy because there are very little or no uh, dark skinned uh, Latin Americans in or, or uh, is there a more or, or Latina? Um, I think the Latinas. term I've seen is Afro Latino. Yes, no, no Afro-Latino. Um, there's not enough Afro-Latino representation within the film. Whilst mm. the film is kind of a, an exploration of, you know, a series of, of, of characters that are from, you know, and, and showing that their passion from their, for their, you know, the homeland. Uh, Anthony Ramsey's character is from the Republic. Republic. Um, a number of, uh, the woman that runs the salons from Puerto Rico. Um, you know, the, there's characters from, you know, a number of, of different uh you know, South American, Central American, and Caribbean countries. Um, yet, there's no there's, the, the film lacks that for you know the the Afro Latino community, and there is um, 
you know, flag. There's a there's a few Jamaican flags being flown, but they're not by people that are of traditionally Jamaican uh, tone. And uh, this film it has attracted a lot of controversy. And this isn't obviously our place to to white men to to discuss. But whilst it does it's a feel shame, hard to ignore, it it's the way that uh, Limo Miranda dealt with it, which is immediately admitting and apologizing in a very very upfront manner i guess is the best way to own it and you you, you mm-hmm. do get a sense that it was a genuine mistake and um you know a, a force uh, something that they didn't think about enough and you you do get a sense that limo Miranda is a genuinely nice guy but obviously it's an issue and i, I don't know if you've got any particular thoughts that you want to add but well yeah like you said we're definitely the last people who like should be talking about this but it does feel wrong to just completely ignore it and gloss over it um mm. but i agree i think lin-manuel miranda's apology was quite sincere like obviously it's not for me to accept but it felt quite sincere and it was far far better than what uh, the director said john m chu i don't know if you saw what he oh, said he I basically came out and said well uh, that's a conversation that we should definitely have but did you not see the dancers in the background and it was like right. what yeah. What? Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely an issue. But like you say, it is. It's nice to see uh, a lot of Latin American people feeling represented and feeling great about it. But they did just miss the mark quite massively with that thing of uh, not including enough dark-skinned people in it. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is, you know, a shame. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I guess you know. To what extent or whatever, just again, it's not. Yeah, not and like I, I've never been to Washington Heights, so I don't know how diverse it is. Like to be there, who, what type of person lives there? So me watching it, I was like, oh, this is so. You know, everyone's in this. Who's in it? You know, this is perfect, perfect representation, because I saw it before it came out. So that was before everyone started talking about it, and then people were talking about it, and they're like. Washington Heights is such a diverse place and I was like is it because I didn't get that vibe from watching it it just felt like you know that was a perfect representation of Washington Heights and then to find out that it very much wasn't was quite like shocking that they missed the mark that much with it right yeah and the casting process uh, the casting directors were both white Americans so Right. Yeah. Right. I missed the post-credit scene, by the way. I'm not saying I also I didn't, I didn't bother to stay. I googled it, and then I, everyone else was leaving, and I was like, I don't want to be the only person sat in the cinema, and also the people who work at the cinema were at the door, and I was like, I don't want to be the what the one person left I, stopping I did, them from I did going know. home. I wish I had, because I left early. I left as soon as the film ended, and the other couple was in the film didn't. And I wish I'd stayed with them and perhaps yeah. uh, third world a bit longer because I I would have. Uh, I am curious about what it is. I, I have decided I'm going to go and see it again because I am going to give it another chance. And it's uh, about Limo Miranda's character. Oh, is it? Oh, of course it is. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I am going to I am going to go and see it again because I do want to give it another chance. On the there is a small chance that next week's episode will begin with me saying I'm so sorry to Lin Manuel Miranda. I love In the Heights. <laughs> it's perfect. But uh, mm. I will give it another chance. Hopefully, I'll like it a bit more. But yeah, it's um, it's not a surprise when we're doing three films that are basically headline worthy in the same episode that we're going to end up being like very long. But I apologise, guys. This is going to be a yeah. very long episode. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so we'll move. Uh, we'll go through our, our ratings and stuff. So, um, I'm very curious actually about what we're both going to rate this. So I'll let you go first. Well, I'm very, very conflicted because if I rated this purely based on how much I enjoyed it, it's honestly like a two or a three. Like I just did not get any enjoyment out of it. If I like take into account the fact that I think the directing, how good all of the cinematography directing and, and all that is, then it's probably like a five or a six. If I liked the music, this would easily be a nine, easily. Ooh, um, yeah. Because I really thought it was that good. But the fact that I don't like the music, to com- like, like I say, if purely based on enjoyment, it's like a two. But if I consider the fact that how good I thought all the technicalities were, it's like a five. So I'll be generous and I'll give it a four and a half, somewhere in the middle between the technicalities that I can appreciate and the fact that I just didn't enjoy it. So I'll give it a four and a half. And I feel bad, but yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to give you a low rating. I can't believe that I'm giving a much higher rating for this film than you are. I know. Um, I feel bad. I'm going to give it a six and a half, but it's closer to a seven than a six. That's good. Oh, also, I meant to say this earlier, but I completely forgot. Maybe part of the fact that how disappointed I was was the fact that I went to see it before everyone else had seen it because I went to it pre-screening with Odeon and yes. uh, when I went in to see it it was literally at like 99% on Rotten Tomatoes and it, critics were like saying this is going to win Best Picture, this is it so I was going in expecting not just a fun musical but like a genuine masterpiece um, and I do feel really really bad giving it such a low score but yeah Okay um yeah, I can't rewatch it because it's just too long. It drags on for fucking ages. <laughs> what about you? Oh, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that it's got high rewatchability, but I am going to go and rewatch it. But I wouldn't. It's funny because I think I've got no desire to see it again. I've, I've literally followed someone that's watched it like nine times. Yeah, I'd say most people would say this is incredibly re- rewatchable because most musicals are. Like, I rewatch musicals all the time, they're dead fun. And. Yeah, they're great to rewatch. But with this one, I have, like I said earlier, I have not thought about it since I saw it. I don't remember any of the songs and I have absolutely no desire to see it again. But I will because I'm going to give it another chance. Okay, and your man of the match? Uh, surprisingly, without because I gave it such a low score, this was quite easy because I thought it was so good. Uh, I haven't actually written his name down. I feel bad. So you'll have to uh, step up and get me his name. But the cinematographer, I thought the cinematographer was great. Well, what you've done there is actually you are a, you are are showing examples of textbook sexism because you assume the cinematographer was a man. Oh, I do know. Actually, she's a woman, isn't she? Alex. Alice. Yes, that's it. I do know who she is as well, so that is even worse. I apologise. I do. I know who she is as well, and I know she's good. So I apologise to her because I, yeah. Um, For me, it's going to be Stephanie Beatrice because because she's so sick. (laughs) I'm going to give it to Anthony Ramos, who absolutely kills the role. He does. All of the acting in this is great. I agree. Except for Corey Hawkins. No, I thought he was great as well. Yeah, I just don't know why. It just didn't vibe me. It felt very fake. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I know the acting in itself is technically all fake, but yeah. uh, I felt it. Um, my uh, okay. We... Sorry, quickly before we end. My favorite performance was Daphne Rubin Vega, who played the owner of the salon. I thought she was great. 
I, yeah, she every time she was on the screen, I was like, yes, I just wanted more of her. I wanted a musical about her salon. That would have been better. Okay, fair enough. Um, okay, give a you need okay really quick, like super quick. Give me a quick spoiler free review of Loki, really quick. Oh god, this is going to be a long episode, isn't it? Uh, so the yeah. second episode of Loki basically just improves on everything that I liked about the second one, about the first one, uh, but it also sticks with the things that I didn't like about the first one. It's a solid second episode. It follows up well. It's got a lot of tension in it, um, which is good for this genre that they're going for, like mystery, murder mystery. Um, it's very tense. It's well acted. A lot of uh, great things about it. But again, like I said last week, everything about it was just adequate. It was pretty good. But I prefer this to the first episode, and I'm very excited to see where this goes. This is definitely better than the first one. Nice. Okay. We are going to be moving on to Luca. That's our big final review of the episode. So, Luca is the newest film from Disney Pixar, and it follows a boy named Luca, surprisingly, who is a sea monster um, who is uh, works on his family's farm underwater uh, off the coast of Italy. And he, um, but when sea monsters go on land, they turn into a, they appear human until water touches them. Um, he one day he stumbles across a fellow sea monster who lives on the land, um, and against his uh, mother's wishes, he sneaks off and lives above land. This leads him to the city of Porto Rosso, and um, he once he he moves up there, um, he him and his new friend uh, Alberto. Um, yes, become, that's his name. Uh, obsessed around the concept of acquiring a um, what's it what are they called? Uh, a Vespa scooter. Now, um, of course, uh, Disney Pixar. We've previously uh, reviewed uh, one Disney Pixar film on the podcast, which was um, no two actually. We did Toy Story four, and we did Soul. Um, so uh, we'll have to see how it stacks up against the likes of those. Um, but uh, this is, um, of course, you know, I've talked about their consistency before um, and how, you know, prior to Luca, um, I think that they've only made one bad film. I said that earlier today. Um, we'll see if I think the Luca stacks up with the rest. Um, I'm just seeing here that this, um, this film premiered at the Aquarium of Genoa earlier last week. Did it? It did. That is unusual. I've been to the I've been to the Aquarium of Genoa. Have you? And, Was it uh, good? Yeah, it's, it's fucking massive. I think it's the biggest <laughs> aquarium in Europe. I think. Wow. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. And this film is set very close to Genoa because uh, they talk about Genoa a lot, and uh, she goes to school in Genoa. Yeah. Um, this is not a, a travel podcast. I don't know Genoa. <laughs> I, I, I shall read it. Okay. So. <laughs> that was good. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, what are your thoughts on Luca? Uh, oh, I'm going first again. Um, yeah, all, all, all three enough. films. Yeah, I think all, I did go first three. on the second, on yeah. the first one. But yeah, yeah anyway, I'll make you do it again. Me again, uh, Luca. I I do love Pixar very much, and I also think that they've only ever made one bad film, and it was Cars Two. Um, and I. I knew that I'd like Luca. Like I, I knew I'd like it. 
going in after seeing the trailers and reading about it, I, I knew that I was going to like it. What I didn't expect is how much I was going to like it. I loved it so much. It's genuinely, I, I'm surprised by this because all of my Pixar, when I rank Pixar films, the entire top 10, top 11 in fact, are pre-2010 because since 2010 they've made good films but nowhere near as good as their original films that they made between 1995 and 2010. Luca has entered that top 10 so it has destroyed the pre-2010 top 10 for me. I thought it was fantastic. It, this is the most beautiful Pixar film and I don't just mean the quality of the animation, the vibrancy of everything, the, the character design, the creature design. This feels more stylized than most Pixar films. They seem to have gone for this like photo real uh, look, but still a bit stylized. Uh, this is very much more stylized than most of the things that they do. But the animation quality is still up there and still impeccable. But the design of the water underneath the water, the landscape design, the character design, the way that they use the lighting is stunning. The landscapes are stunning. It is the most beautiful Pixar film. I think it's gorgeous. Uh, the score is also very, very nice. It's, it's, you know, it's dramatic when it needs to be. And it's very fitting. It's very, you know, feels like something you'd hear if you were on the Italian coast. Um, and it, the score was great. And the characters are so, so good. So well thought out, so well rounded. And the story, excuse me, the story is a beautiful story of this definitely gay friendship um <laughs> of um of luca and alberto the way that they get to know one another and the way that they bounce off one another and interact with one another and you know it, it, it it's a, it's a it's an amazing beautiful story between those two um of of friendship and there's definitely gay but friendship and uh you know it was very emotional at times and I felt so invested in their friendship and so invested in their story that was really rooting for them. Uh, and, and there are two scenes in particular that I won't get into until we do a spoiler section slash if we do a spoiler section for this um, that completely like broke me that I thought were impeccable uh, and so emotional and heartbreaking. Um, but it's so uplifting and it doesn't have that happy ending well, it does kind of, that uh, Pixar films often have. It's a very real uh, story of friendship that these two people have. And also, I, I don't remember her name, but the girl... Oh, yeah, her name is uh, Juliana, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Julia, Juliana. Juliana, yeah. Uh, but it's spelled... Julia. The, Julia. Julia, yeah. And it's spelled Julia. the Italian way, not the uh, anglicised way. But anyway, not that that's relevant. Um, yeah, Julia, she is a great addition to this duo and makes them become a trio. And uh, she's a great character. She's very funny. She's very stalwart and she knows what she wants. And she kind of leads the way as these two sea monsters uh, try and adapt to a human land surface. Uh, although she doesn't know that they're sea monsters. But she leads them inadvertently because they do say, we're not from Porto Rosso. So she helps them, uh, you know, uh, find their way around the town. Uh, and I, I genuinely loved it. I I loved it so much. And I really did not expect it. I thought that I'd watch it and I'd be like, yeah, that was good. 
but I, I loved it completely utterly loved it i was in awe of it i was surprised i saw so many critics say this is one of pixar's weakest this is not pixar at its finest this is pixar i i adore this film i i love this film i think it's fantastic i i don't know how how you feel we've not spoken about it i don't know if you've seen my tweets about it or my one word letterbox review which is just the word gay Okay, um, I've not seen that. I didn't know that. I was unaware of your thoughts on Luca. Um, yes, um, my thoughts on Luca are overwhelmingly negative. Um, I think this is probably their worst film. Um, wow. No, I'm joking. Um, oh, wow. I'm, I was very surprised then. <laughs> you convinced me. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily agree with you in the concept that um that pixar have been you know dragging their heels along for the last however many years because i think soul is one of the best films they've ever made oh yeah i don't um, think that just to clarify i don't think that they've made bad films in, since 2010 it's just that all of my favorite ones are pre-2010 right, i still yeah. think that the films they've been making have been very very good just not quite at the level of like toy story or the right. incredibles and ratatouille Right, I, I think Soul is is very very good. I think Soul is is very good, and I think it stands up with a lot of the, the kind of the, the traditional greats. Um, and I probably almost say that maybe Toy Story Four does as well. Uh, I'm not as strong on Luca as I am Soul. I don't oh, think that's, I'm connected to it. That's also a good point. Toy Story, I completely forgot about that. Toy Story Four is also in my top ten. So what I said was completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not an original story, of course. That's you know, this true. Is it's a, a completely sequel. different thing. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't connect it the same way I did with Soul. I think it is because of how interested I was in the um, kind of concept of Soul, and also I think perhaps my obsession with cities and the packed. Uh, I rewatched the first half of Soul the other day before my mate got too tired and we went to bed. But yeah, I love the. This is me reviewing Soul again. The kind of packed city, <laughs> dense nature of it, and all the events in the back. It's very New York, and it's very you know musical. And I, I, you know, that that's more my vibe. Um, but Luca is agree. I agree. Their most beautiful film so far it is absolutely amazing. Um, it's you know every shot could be a picture. Uh, could be a could be framed. Uh, uh, you know, it's it, it really makes you sit back and think wow you know what we've done with cgi is insane what human what humanity has managed to do yeah with cgi is is just absolutely awe-inspiring um yeah. and why you're amazed at um that, that, that humans could do this you're presented with an extremely human story you know of course you know that these kind of films that um kind of you know a film where it focuses on humans from an outside point of view really makes you appreciate and think about what really it is to be a person and what it really is and it makes you think about the small things in life um and, and appreciating them and, and and kind of the way that you kind of see the world for the first time again through the eyes of, of these two young sea monsters it, it's very Oh, it's very um, strong stuff. You know, it really is. Uh, it's it's very it's very well done. Um, the voice acting here um, is is very very good. The uh, mm-hmm. Alberto character, who's kind of the um, you know the the main the best friend character, is uh, the kid from it. The like the nervous kid from it, 
uh, who is also um, the disabled guy, disabled friend in Shazam, um, Jacob Dylan Grazer. Um, and, and, you know, and, and him and the main guy who's played by a kid called Jacob Tremblay. Uh, Tremblay. Uh, both very, very, very strong, as well as Emma Berman as, as Julia. Um, the voice acting is exceptional here. Um, the world they create is... It's insane that Pixar do this so often. They, they, it's top, top, top tier world creation. It, it's so believable and within a relatively short runtime. You know, it's it's oh, this one's very short runtime actually, an hour and a half. Yeah, you very much get wrapped into not only the world but the rules of which the world lives by. You know, the 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 gimmick of the of of the sea monsters you know you very much understand it and i think you know they've created an emotional story one that of course as you say is is very much reminiscent of uh, a gay love story um but a very emotional and and um passionate sort of you know emotional story um that's very funny genuinely funny which yeah. pixar seems to do all the time they, they they don't miss on on the comedy um and one that is just as beautiful. It is. Uh, is I don't know if it is. It just called cinematography when it's. I guess it is still. Yeah, it is, still is. It the cinematography is, is mm. fucking excellent. I mean, it's, it's up there with anything. Obviously, films like this don't get nominated for cinematography, but it is up there with it, with any you know live action film. Um, Absolutely. And there's very little you can say wrong about this. Really, it's. Did you know that Sacha Baron Cohen plays the uncle? Is that the see-through fish? There's, Yes. I didn't know that, but that doesn't surprise me at all. I just, just saw it on Wikipedia. <laughs> did you see the after credit scene with the uncle in it? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, did. I thought that was quite good. It's so... It, the, the the Italian city is so vibrant, but it feels so real. It, it, I don't know if there was like a specific like place in mind that they were um, like basing it off, but it's an excellent yeah. little place to be, and it, it really is like very, very homely. It's a great story, you know. It's just, it's really good. <laughs> it is. It's great. It's great. Like I thought, Soul was probably better than this, maybe, but I, I, I couldn't sit there and say that I loved Soul. I love this film. I think this is fantastic. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's one of the the better movies of the, uh, so far this year. Definitely. Um. It's like um, it's like the mixture between uh, "Call Me by Your Name" and "The Shape of Water." <laughs> yeah, it is. It is with Coco. I saw someone say "Call Me by Your Nemo." Oh my god! I retweeted is... it on uh, or earlier, which is a New York Times, I think, or something, New York Post, or some sort of American yeah. paper. Who the lead line of their review was uh, "Calamari by Your Name." <laughs> That's good. It is very good. <laughs> um, it's 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 very. What's the word? It's a very personal story as well. You know, it's it's. Yeah. It, it's I don't know. I I, don't, I just feel like I'm gonna just be giving word soup out here, but the uh, it just feels very authentically Italian as well. You know, the the, the music and. You know the, the location and, and the the language used. You know, it's this constant mixture between uh, Italian and, and and English. Like you're watching an episode of you know Dora the Explorer, um, yeah. Spanish. But you know, what I mean, like the constant jump between yeah. the, the languages. Um, but yeah, it's it's 
wonderfully nostalgic. Um, it never feels too self-indulgent and, you know, you just want to live there forever, you know? Yeah, I agree. I can't say that I've loved a Pixar film like this in a long time. A very long time. Yeah. I genuinely loved it. Um, did you notice the, the naming thing for the, the city, the, the town? No. It's called Porto Rosso, instead, which is like, instead of like Poco Rosso, the... Oh, I see. Yeah, it's... That is, that is smart. It's a, well done, Pixar. Yeah. Um, so what do you, what would you say rating-wise for this? Um, ooh. I'd... Honestly, I, I loved it that much. I'd probably give it a 9. 9.5. I genuinely loved it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give it a 9. Yeah. Yeah. It's... It's just... It's just I, I, it's, I think... You know, we've said off the pod before, like, it's mad that, that Jordan has a a list of all of his favourite films because like uh, like yeah. he ranks his top 100 because I could never do that I think yeah. it's absolutely insane that you've got a ranking of Pixar films yeah like, that is one I struggle so much but I do rank them yeah I, I couldn't I, like Wally's my favourite like I know that yeah. I love Wally because I think it's their most important story and their most like like their best use of allegory and stuff I, I, I think yeah. they're like it, it does that the best and uh, it's a really story that really I think really is important yeah, um, but then after that, I could pre- they'd like I think about like yeah, Finding Nemo is so good. That's my second. No, actually, The Incredibles, actually Toy Story <laughs> two, actually Toy Story one. Yeah, you know I mean it's the, it it's, is so difficult. Like my my Pixar rankings, the top thirteen are all five stars on Letterboxd. So ranking them is like insane, and then after that, most of them are four and a half stars. I think two of them are four stars, and then. Cars 2 is bad because I, I genuinely think they're all fantastic and I, I do struggle to rank them um, but people don't talk about how good A Bug's Life is I, I, mm, A Bug's Life is great but I don't think it's aged as well as the others right you think so? pardon? oh do you think so? Oh, I don't know if I think yeah. it's, I haven't seen it in ages to be fair but so maybe it has aged but um, I think when when I look at like Toy Story two and Toy Story, I feel like they are just as good now as they were in the nineties. Not like I saw them in the nineties, but oh my god, Hopper's played by Kevin Spacey. I had no clue. Oh my god, really? I had no idea about that. What? Hmm. Hopper's played by Kevin Spacey. Are you I... going what because you didn't know that? Are you saying what because you didn't know? You're surprised I didn't know that. I don't understand what you're saying. Hopper's prey Kevin Spacey. Hopper in A Bug's Life is played by oh. Kevin Spacey. Is he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. No. It took me a second to understand what you were saying. Then. <laughs> I say it on the podcast. I've said it on the podcast loads of times. It's just a shame that Kevin Spacey's an awful person because he's a really, really, really good actor. Yeah. Shame on you, Kevin. Eh. I know. Yeah. I I loved. We were not. I loved House of Cards. And then it came out, and I was like, "Oh, I can never watch it. I can never rewatch it again." And I tried to rewatch it, and I just couldn't get past the fact that he's so awful. He's tainted <laughs> everything. He's just the worst. Well, that's not why he's the worst. He's the worst because of what he did. But <laughs> he's, I don't, I don't dislike him because he's ruined lots of films. I dislike him because he's like a sexual predator and a paedophile. <laughs> There's that um, oh, I can't remember the name. Like the American comedian, but that the. Um... 
uh, that he is he's, he's talking about the uh, his mate was talking to him about um, the uh, Bill Cosby stuff, and oh, it was Norm Macdonald that was it, and he said the thing about that you know the worst thing is the hypocrisy, and he goes well it's not really the worst thing is it? <laughs> Actually, the worst thing is the sexual assault. Yeah, the hypocrisy is is a kind of slightly you know a, sh- yeah. a turd cherry on the shy. We, we're all hypocrites at some is. point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, such a shank in space that you were good, not the fact that you actually had your <laughs> Yeah. Rapist or whatever. Um, yeah. That's so, a light um, topic of conversation. <laughs> How do we segue away from that on back onto Luca? <laughs> right. <laughs> Who's your man of the match? Uh, my man of the match, it would have to be Jacob Tremblay, who plays Luca. He's, you know, obviously most people know him and are aware of him. He was in Room with Brie Larson. And he won a Critics' Choice Award, oh, right, yes. and was—I yeah. think he was the youngest person ever nominated for a SAG Award as well um, at the time. I didn't—I didn't hit my head. I didn't connect that that was the same person, but yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and and I yeah. think as Luke had said, he's so young as well. He's like thirteen. He uh, he does a great job in this of of becoming Luca and portraying it very convincingly. Because often when kids voice act, it sounds a bit rubbish. But he's he's genuinely great, and he's as the protagonist, he is the life of this film yeah I would uh, I'd have to agree about how good he is but then I guess okay so my man of the match would go to Michael Venturini and David Ryu for visual effects because of just how beautiful this film looks oh that's true actually I also I wrote down I I said uh, Jacob Tremblay slash the animators (laughs) yeah yeah so because it's not even the it's not even the quality of the animation; it's the style that they've gone for, like the way that it looks. Yeah, but yeah, the quality yeah, of our animation yeah. is still exceptional. Yes, yes, it's the best looking animated film. It's the best looking CGI film I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I I haven't seen Wolf Walkers, but of course, like that kind of animation, like it's kind of hard to compare that to to this. Yeah, because they're both so different. But from a CGI point of view. Like, not the objective art, but if you're going for objectiveness, it's like it looks the best on like terms of quality, as yeah. well as the the way that the style is so good. So yeah, that's for me. And I think it's yeah, it's so short and it's so fun and it's funny. So I think it's very rewatchable as well. It is. It's definitely rewatchable. I'll probably rewatch it tomorrow. And I'm really sad that I can't rewatch it in the cinema. Um, what's better, Luca or the Father? Oh, you know, I'm going to say Luca. I'm gonna say the father. Yeah, they're so different though. Feels weird comparing yeah. them, but I still think Luca. Out of uh, 2021 films, um, I have Luca. I'm going to have this ranked fifth. So it's um, be- it's it, the only things that are better than this are it's a sin, which is not a film. So I guess you can say it's fourth, but <laughs> I've got it's a sin on there. It's a sin number one. Then Judas the Black Messiah. Then promising young woman, then the father, then this. So, it's in very. That's impressive, yeah. It's very highly rated. It's in very esteemed company, and uh, its existence means that um, Nomadland is pushed even further down the list. Which is horrible and wrong. Nomadland is now at twelve. It's just wrong. (laughs) There is objectivity when it comes to Nomadland. (laughs) Yeah, it's objectively boring. 
Um, I will no longer have, be the co-host of the Now Showing podcast. Due to um, like me moving about and stuff, like I'm going home and then I'm coming back for someone's party and stuff, I don't know when I will be around next week, so I don't know when we're going to be recording, which means I don't know what films we're going to be doing. There's a good chance that we might do a kind of episode midweek um, about some of the smaller films that have come out, such as Nobody, um, and Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, um, you know, something like that. We might, or Monster Hunter, maybe. We might maybe do um, something along those lines uh, that will come out later on in the week um, as kind of a filler episode because I'm going to be away. So I can't say what we're going to do next time, but I'm sure you can find out uh, by, te- by checking out the Now Showing Podcast's Twitter account, which is at uh, Now Showing Pod. Um, uh, and of course, if you want to follow us, you can do so on Twitter at Sam H Media for myself and at LJWR underscore for Lewis. Um, and you can find my letterbox at Sam Houston and Lewis at LJWR. Um, we are proud members of the Music City Drive-In Network. You can check out their website, uh, which contains podcasts like our own other film podcasts, including the likes of Film Optics, the Music City Drive-In podcast itself, uh, music podcasts such as 50 Years of Music and uh uh, if you like American sports, there is the Fantasy Football Roundtable podcast. There's a whole lot more uh, articles, podcasts, pieces of news, reviews, everything on there. And you can check that out on Twitter at MCDI Pod. If you like the podcast, the best way to support us is by telling all your friends how good we are and by giving us a five star rating on iTunes. Uh, we hope to see you next week and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening again.